I think that all grown-ups got beans in their ears. Beans in their ears. Beans in their ears. I think that all grown-ups got beans in their ears. Beans in their It's nine o'clock straight up Saturday, May the 16th. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane show. Well, I'm all talked out, so I think we should just, you know. Really? You were only talked out from like four minutes of talking? Four minutes? I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. (laughs) We were talking since about 8.30. I think I came downstairs. Ah, I am an egg. Thinking we should do the show. You start talking and here we are. You know. Oh boy. It's probably a shopping starting to be It's a busy life. It's a busy life. What the hell? It's like everything has invaded our house. That's the thing about now. All all of the uh, aspects of a person's life that made it busy and diverse are now all solely the... the, uh, in the venue of the home. Yes. So that it, it creates a different kind of busyness. It does, but... That it's... has a different sort of... That takes a different sort of toll on the body and the mind. Don't you think? That might be true. I think that's something that everyone is having to contend with on some level, is getting used to that thing. Which kind of takes me back to where I started. I think that all grown-ups got beans in their ears. Beans in their ears. Beans in their ears. It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, as per usual. Over to you, Diane. Wow, that was fast. Well, that's kind of how we do it. We're on the express bus today. Come on, let's go. We got shopping, we got things, we got items, we got agendas. Yeah, well, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Well, what do you want? Do we want to stop down while you're doing the shopping there now? No, no, no. Okay. All I am doing with the shop is so we actually are having our groceries delivered during this time because we're old. Don't want to. Old and lazy. I don't feel lazy. I I feel nervous about being in groceries. There you go, old and nervous. There you go. I'm with you. But uh, so all I have to do is uh, uh, say that the adjustments to the order are okay. Oh, I uh, I only want uh, four red peppers. It's too late now. Oh, man. Oh, well. I'll okay. take the... Sure you will. Sure, buddy. I'll take the uh, extras. Yeah. Anyway. Right. We what, we, more... what we were talking about is an ideal version of yourself that exists in your mind. Oh, right. Versus... We're talking about body, body dysmorphia. Yeah. Body, uh, you know, self-criticism because of body type. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the lifelong engagement with that aspect of oneself, and how you know at different points in your life you think you you kind of feel like you've achieved a level of mastery over it, but then you find out five or ten years later that yeah you you got mastery over one aspect of it, but it doesn't you know dealing with a problem does not make the problem go away. No, it's true. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, it's, this is one way where you, that's very crystalline in, in proving that point. Because I have dealt with my, my body consciousness all my life. Yeah, me too. Pre, even pre-adolescent, it was something that I was aware of. 
Well, when I was a kid, I was I was actually fairly thin. It was, so I've been um, fighting my body dysmorphia, if you want to say it, uh, since probably adolescence. Adolescence, seventeen, somewhere around there. there. But we were talking about how you have this ideal in your mind that it isn't even possible, that you cannot achieve it because you have a different bone structure, a different yeah. body type. Right. You know, we you are never going to be lean and You don't just want me. your body to be the ideal form of itself. You want a completely different body. Exactly. So the ideal that you have in your mind is completely, it's fiction. And it's science fiction, really. And uh, <laughs> It's not, it's not possible in the realm of physics, uh, let alone in the realm of, you know, self-acceptance. So it's, you know. Well, what I was starting to say when you said, we've got to get to the show, Diane. Well, yeah. Is that when I was a child and I was first going into the world, right. um, I really thought that I might be able to be perfect. Huh. And I think. Everybody kind of thinks you might be able to be perfect. Oh yeah, like that—that's part of what life is—is to—is to achieve the idealized version of yourself. Uh, you know, overcome all adversity and uh, you know enter into like the Ubermensch kind of you know thing, where you are the complete expression, the fully realized. What was that? That was something like that. Self-actualized. Self-actualized. Well, what I was going to say is what I learned when I was growing older is that when you're a child, you are always thinking about, well, first of all, when you're a child, you are presented with a bunch of virtues that you can achieve in your lifetime. I mean, that's sort of where you're first, you're taught by your parents, your teachers, your uh, peers. Yeah. There's a certain set of virtues, and you can achieve it. And oh, and particularly in my case, the church, you know. But as I went through my life, I was finding that I was just falling down all the time on everything. <laughs> and um, so I, I now feel that part of the deal about life is that you are bound to fall. And that that is part of the whole journey of life, is that you were never achieving perfection and how boring you would be if you were perfect and whose version of perfect are you even choosing so i think it it encompasses a lot of different uh aspects of your life and especially because as we grow we we see how outmoded some of the ideas of perfection even were yeah that they were from another generation for example that didn't really apply to our generation. I don't know. So it's it's interesting to think about how you change your points of view about yourself over time. And I I guess my point when we were talking is that I think I've come to much more of an acceptance of myself during this age when I'm older and not as capable of achieving any ideal. Sorry. Yep. Body dysmorphia is a weird thing, but it's, you know, it's the, the concept of the committee in the head because, I, you know, I don't know if everybody is born with 
built-in kind of devil's advocate-y kind of voices in their head. But that seems to be where a lot of this material gets worked out over time is because there's always something in your brain offering another perspective and it's and, and patterns tend to form perhaps during adolescence to where that other voice is always the negative voice is always the yeah but you're an asshole voice <laughs> yeah. or no but you're still a failure because you know blah blah a b c d e f g you know that that tends to be the voice uh, that you identify uh, as you know <laughs> the critic or the committee in your head or you know wherever the you know and uh, that's the issue you know because you can I can kick myself around the block not just about being fat but about the way I think about being fat. Pardon me, I'm having a drink of coffee. <laughs> the way I think about the way I think about being fat. You boy. And also good coffee. the way I think. You know, and what I consider fat. And you know, I mean I could you know you can dance. I mean this is a because, you know <laughs> your brain tends to be kind of endless and if you spend too much time up there, man, it's like it's not it's not like you ever learn the the layout because the layout is it's like it's been designed to mess with your head <laughs> you know, even though it's part of your head you know it's designed to be argumentative it's designed to be other uh perspective oriented well i don't think that your committee in your head is that uncommon a thought no i because don't think, you know People because call it different things, but... whenever I have written that to anybody, they always respond, and I know I responded right. when you first said that. Well, that somebody was said it to me. I was not... I did not yeah. come up with that idea. I have a different... My family has a different name for it, but... Yeah. One that is not nearly as universally <laughs> acceptable. Yeah. Or it's it's a very, fairly specific... It's the DMF <laughs> is what it is, which is the Davy Mind... <laughs> but the reason why I say that is because uh, so the reason why we we're talking about this is I have been participating in a diabetes prevention program called AMADA for 11 weeks pretty it's, much for as long as we've been in isolation or was it before that we went it in isolation? started just right before we went into isolation. And I am so glad that I had this as a goal because uh, because it has actually kept me from overeating and has kept me on a healthy path through this entire and isolation. I, I would say as the outside observer, or a outside observer, that the fact that you have been at home is what has made this possible. Oh, absolutely. Because you are able to structure your days around what you want to accomplish in that realm and it's a great structure. It's a structure that works, and it includes more exercise than you had time for when you were commuting to work That's five right. days a week, and it, and more uh, food preparation time than you had time for when you were commuting to That's your right. job five days a week. So there have been lots of these. The elements of our isolation have really enhanced your productivity in this area, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, yeah. and especially because cooking at home and not eating out at all right. has been phenomenal yeah but during this period of time uh i went into it for health purposes because i have a family history of diabetes and i've never tested anywhere near diabetes but i've always been nervous you and about i have it. that exact thing in common yeah 
So I, I felt like when this came up, it's part of a program at the University of Washington where I work and, and it's covered by your insurance. So I thought, hey, I might as well participate in that. And it has been a true revelation because they never proposed a diet. You come up with your own style of how you want to do things, but they give you an education every week and and nudge you gently towards these different better health situations but it doesn't just cover going down on the scale it also covers um, exercise and sleep and all the things that contribute to your health and this week's lesson was about negative self-talk and it was amazing because they went through this whole list of different ways that you can talk negatively in your head. And they basically, uh, in the lesson, were saying which one is your particular negative self-talk that you grapple with. And mine was shoulds. I should do this. I should be this. I should, 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 should. And I grapple with that all the time. And so I have, and what they are saying in the lesson is, can you change that negative self-talk into being a compassionate friend? Like if you had a friend who said, oh man, I am so fat. I, I really need to lose weight. And I just am such a slob. Would you respond by saying, yeah, you sure are a slob. I've been meaning to say <laughs> Really? You really let yourself go. (laughs) You would be saying, well, how can I assist you in that? Um, Is there, you want to go on walks together? You know, how can I help with that? Mm -hmm. So you would be compassionate. And there's a group component to this program. And all the people in my group are phenomenal. They've just been... um, philosophical they are there's nobody who's playing the victim in the group everybody is participating a lot of playfulness a lot of kindness and I suddenly realized as I was in this that I already have these people in my head about my health journey I'm not thinking of myself like oh man you didn't do this or the yeah I've just been thinking oh okay well um, and actually, I haven't had that many times where I've had to even fight it. And I think it's that's why I say it's the gentle invitation to health rather than this disciplinary, get out there and do it, you know, but more the gentle, kind, compassionate way of, of trying to pursue this. And because of that, I've been thinking a lot about the way that we whip ourselves about everything you know, whip ourselves to get good grades or to do that, you know, that we aren't gentle and just allowing ourselves to do things. So, but just as a, as a side note, um, in the past 11 weeks, I've lost 23 pounds. So it shows that the, the gentle approach works and something that is not structured, not telling you what to do, that you kind of choose your own way and they gently guide you if they see you going off track in some way. And the biggest news for me is that my cholesterol went from being 
higher than it should be. It wasn't like skyrocketed high, but higher than it should be. And it's been that way for years for like, since my, I was in my thirties and now it's completely normal. And that just floored me that after only, um, yeah, cause that, that result came about eight what, weeks eight in, weeks in yeah. cause I thought I should get a baseline of right. the cholesterol that right. I, uh, uh, just because that was part of the reason why I didn't want to take statins. I didn't want to do all that stuff. So it's, it's kind of floored me how resilient the body is if you give it a chance and how resilient we all are if we just give ourselves a little kindness and, and the proper, um, elements that we need right. nutrition we and are, exercise and sleep and being we are, less we are learning that the earth responds the same way that's what i yeah, i, I like have actually same, thought about that me too, uh, because you know like the, if you, you cut your arm and you can watch your arm heal up well you know we we leave the earth alone for a couple of weeks and the earth is getting well it's like the earth has been able to quit smoking or something it, like that you know it's and its true. lungs are getting pink again because we're leaving we're not you know, trying to kill it all the time, you know, yeah. whatever. You know, it takes me back to this idea I've had that, you know, we're always talking about how we're killing the planet and stuff like that. We're not, the planet's going to be fine. Oh, yeah. It's, we're, we're killing, killing ourselves. We're wiping out our own habitat <laughs> when we call ourselves the top of the food chain, you know. Yeah. It's just makes absolutely no intellectual sense that this is how we express our superiority by eliminating ourselves from existence because we can and I know I am not the only person who has had uh, the revelation of a bunch of silver linings through the uh, through this process. There needs to be a name for this because there needs to be organization around this. You know, new para new paradigm. For I think that there already is. I I've received a uh, survey from the university. Uh, and I don't know who is doing the survey, but they were asking uh, questions like, how did you com- how often did you commute into work? How did you commute into work? Are you able to telework? Are you, you know, is your work less, more? Yeah. And then they were basically asking about your mood, your, you know, what was going on and are you being healthier than you were? Are you not? Are you exercising? And so I think that they're trying to get a well. They're a trying to feel. get some kind of a uh, of a read on it, on the situation. Partly, probably because they're wondering, okay, so which jobs can we eliminate? You know, because you know the states, the university systems, the governmental structures are hemorrhaging debt. They yeah. Are, they are. They are. Well, economically, certainly ours is. Yeah, they are completely spiraling out of control. And no one has seen anything like this, you know, in our lifetimes, certainly. So the economics is driving. But, I mean, if it's economics that drives the change, I'm fine with that. Because, they're, you know, if you live in a country wherein the ability to live day to day is based upon some rich person making a certain percentage of profit over the same quarter last year, I know. then we've got a problem with our system. <laughs> it's you know? true. And, you know, if the, if the food chain is going to be interrupted because so-and-so can't make money on it, then we have a problem. 
you know, that's bigger than, you know, how, how the air is clearing up and you can see the mountains again and the trees leafing out are like just, everything is just abundant. I mean, the world is exploding in natural beauty right now. I mean, you just go out for a walk, the trees, the leaves seem more vivid. And oh, yeah. It's well, probably hypnosis on our parts, you know, but who cares? I mean, it's like, wait a minute, it's this easy? That's right. It's this easy to fix so many of the things? <laughs> just, just allowing the earth to breathe again fixes a lot of problems, and there would be a cascade of benefit that, you know, we, haven't, we can't even fathom. That's right. So, you know, these things need need to be considered, uh, you know, globally. Anyway. So what would Pete Seeger say about all this? Pete, his first uh, album on Columbia Records was titled God Bless the Grass. Wow. Yeah. That's what he would say about this. Right. God Bless the Grass. He also had his way of saying, human race, pretty good place. Because, you know, he believed that we were smart. You know, we could figure, well, figure shit out. And this is the shit that we need to figure out. Yeah. How, to, how to not wipe out our habitat. That just seems like such a great place for humanity to start healing these uh, kind of tribal lines that have been drawn up, you know. It doesn't mean that we don't all still need the same things in order to survive. So that our children will have the gift of life, let alone and we can talk about the quality of it somewhere down the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't matter what the quality of life is if there's no life. So. Well, and especially as we see this drama playing out about the coronavirus and, yeah. you know, and whether, whether we should be dying for the Tao, so to speak. Exactly. And we are all like... in the same storm. We're not in the same boats. Because this is a storm that affects, you know, different certain segments of the population much more than it affects ours, like most things do. Uh, but, you know, these are, these are things that, that draw us together as humanity. But the money part of it has, is the, a thing that divides us as humanity. It pushes us apart. So there's a fundamental choice to be made there as to where we want to put our attention we want to put our attention on the things that make us different or on the things that unite us and yeah. you know when you talk about making a government that actually functions it's, it has to be organized around the things that unite us and not the things that divide us otherwise it's all adversarial and we're all each other's enemies and that makes no intellectual sense it, nobody well, it, in their right mind can actually believe that. That well, I live because I beat you. You know, that's just not the way life works. Well, I definitely think of George Carlin's comments about that. That um, when he was saying that the the rich do this to uh, the division, so that we will be squabbling amongst each other and mm -hmm. not realize that they're making off with all the money. Yeah. And right now, <laughs> they're running out the back door with the treasure chest while we're yeah. arguing amongst ourselves exactly. about, you know, about uh, what kind of lock we should put on the treasure chest. Yeah, uh, exactly. They're already down the road and off towards the next village. 
Yeah. So, um, it's time for some music. Yes. I was, uh, we were going back to our lists of 10 influential albums that we had done on Facebook. Everybody was doing this thing on Facebook a while ago. And I remember this Pete Seeger record as being something that I listened to again and again and again, but I had not actually listened to it until this morning. And I just was just like, it's like every song is taking me on this freaking journey because this was, I listened to this record when I was like a teenager and I was so impacted by it. And then I was wondering why, how is he doing this? How does he do this? I remember thinking that when I saw Harry Chapin play and it was just him and his guitar and it was just mesmerizing. And I was like, how does he do that? And when I read, when I read uh, Philip Levine's They Feed, They Lion, that poem for the first time, and it just knocked my teeth out. You know, I was like, how does he do that? You know, but Pete Seeger was one of the first ones because it's just him and his banjo. And he just, you're just all in. And for some reason, I was just always all in with Pete Seeger. He sounded like somebody uh, you were sitting around a campfire and he was giving you knowledge, you know. Uh, and this, the album is called Dangerous Songs and it's got so many funny, just, it's got Phil Oakes' Draft Dodger rag on it. It's, it's, you came down singing a song this morning. Oh yeah, it's Maids When You're Young Never Wed an Old Man. He's got no ding doodle, no fa la la loodle. <laughs> He's got lost his ding doodle, you know. <laughs> Come on! It's just the the danger in these songs is that they are just not your average pop song. You know? They're not the, uh, but they're just so well done. Well, whatever it was that you were asking, how does he do it? You have certainly picked uh, it up no, to the... no. I, no, I don't think, think so. so. Pete Seeger was his own phenomenon. Well, you're the your way, own. The phenomenon. way he got people to sing, the way it was just. You went to a Pete Seeger concert to, to be a like you were going to church, you know. There was he found that thing, that makes it so grand to be in church singing. Yeah. He knew he brought that to everybody, you know. Yeah. Nonetheless, I, I, yeah. you have learned how to be. Well, I have Bill studied. Davey. I've studied these people, my whole life. So, and trying to figure out. Which songs? There are 21 songs, 21 tracks on this album. And it's a normal length album, so a lot of the tracks are under a minute. you know. Uh, but he's, he's, he recites these little nursery rhymes and stuff like that, and he blends nursery rhyme and song together in a way that you know, makes something new out of each. Plus, he's playing all these old folk songs. He doesn't, you know. And it was just a mesmerizing album. From it was released originally in 1966. I didn't get it until probably 73, 74, in there somewhere, 72. But anyway, so a couple of tunes I've had a hard time picking, but I did pick "Going Across the Mountains," and then his medley, uh, "A Road to Joy" and "Goliath, Goliath." Pete Seeger, "Dangerous Songs." <laughs> Frank Prophet 
tobacco farmer and banjo picker of the Smoky Mountains, had a grandfather who taught him a lot of songs. His grandfather taught him the song Tom Dooley, and Frank taught the song to all of us. But I thought I'd sing another song that his grandfather taught him, a true story of about a hundred years ago. the mountains, oh fare you well, going across the mountains, you can hear my banjo tell, got my rations on my back, my powder, it is dry, going across the mountains, oh Chrissy, don't you cry. the mountain to join the boys in blue when this fighting's over I'll come back to you going across the mountains if I have to crawl to give old Jeff's men a little of my rifle ball Speck you'll miss me when I'm gone, but I'm going through. When this fighting's over, I'll come back to you. Way before it's good daylight, if nothing happens to me, I'll be way down yonder in old Tennessee. Going across the mountain, oh, fare you well. Across the mountain, you can hear my banjo tell. Going across the mountain, oh, fare you well. Going across the mountain, Chrissy, fare you well. Going across the mountain to join the boys in blue. When this fighting's over, I'll come back to you. marched forth, a sword in his hand, two thousand horsemen all at his command. In a fortnight the rivers ran red through the land, the year 1520, the year it is now 1965. It's easier far to stay half alive Just keep your mouth shut while the planes zoom and dive Ten thousand miles over the ocean Simon was drafted in 63 In 64 sent over the sea Last month this letter he sent to me He said you won't like what I'm saying He said we've no friends here, no hardly a one 
We've got a few generals who just want our guns But it'll take more than that if we're ever to win Why, we'll have to flatten the country It's my own troops I have to watch out for, he said I sleep with a pistol right under my head He wrote this last month, last week he was dead And Simon came home in a casket I mind my own business, I watch my TV Complain about taxes, but pay anyway In a civilized manner my forefathers betray Who long ago struggled for freedom But each day a new headline screams at my bluff On TV some general says we must be tough In my dreams I stare at this family I love All gutted and spattered with napalm King Henry marched forth a sword in his hand Two thousand horsemen all at his command In a fortnight the rivers ran red through the land The year 1520 The year it is now, 1965 It's easier far to stay half alive Just keep your mouth shut while the planes zoom and dive Ten thousand miles over the ocean Goliath's mother wept and mourned, remembering the day when he was born. Goliath's children got the blame, Goliath, Goliath got the fame. 